Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name to each one. It's a good day today. It's Father's Day. Um, and I think it's good that we celebrate things like Father's Day, Mother's Day. And I don't, I don't say that today because I feel like I need more celebration or the mothers need more celebration. But it, I think it, it does something. It, it, it says what we value. And I think it's important to value rules like fathers and mothers. And, and even as children growing up, to realize that that's an honored role. It's a position that, that we value. Today, uh, because it's Father's Day, I'm going to talk about something that, that all of us as men, especially fathers, are called to. And that is to be a leader. And there's several aspects of being a leader that, that I want to look at this morning. The title of my message this morning Maybe a little incomplete, but a good leader is. A good leader is. And there's two things that we're going to look at that a good leader is. Uh, the definition of, of a leader or someone, or to lead, is to guide on a way, especially by going in advance. To guide on a way, especially by going in advance. And that's, that's what a leader is to do. So we're all, in some ways, we're actually all called to leadership. And so as we talk about these things and apply these things this morning, um, ladies, young men, we're all, we, we can all apply these to our life. Um, but I'm going to specifically be making practical applications to us, as, <clears throat> excuse me, to us as fathers and husbands this morning. So we're all called to leadership in some way or another. The day you as a man, especially talking to the fathers now, the day you chose to get married, with that was a choice to be a leader. You chose to be a leader of your household, of your wife. Um, the day you have children, you're also choosing to be a leader of your children. There's two things that I'm going to address this morning that I think you must be if you want to be a good leader. And there's more. There's definitely more to being a good leader than just two, these two things. But I think, I think the reason I, I, I'm thinking about and talking about these two things is these are two things that, that I've been personally learning, growing in, um, trying to become better at. The first one I want to look at is a good leader is a servant. A good leader is a servant. And so... If you're married and you signed up to be a leader, you could also say the day you chose to get married, you signed up to be a servant. If you're a father, you're a servant. And if you're a husband, you're a servant. You're called to serve. And we really, we really ought to view our role as a leader, or in any kind of leadership, as an opportunity to serve. Um, we, we always... So we call, um, like, the boss of a company, we call him the CEO, the chief executive officer. I think, that's, I think I'm saying it right, chief executive officer. But I think, I think there's, if there's a phrase you'd leave with this morning, I think we should view our role as a leader as the CSO, chief serving officer. And maybe that changes a little bit the way you view leadership, and that's probably good. 
View your role as a leader, as chief serving officer. We'll get into maybe what that looks like. And I think this is especially important in marriage. I think it's especially important in marriage. Um, there's that tendency for us as men to view marriage as, well, I got married, now my wife's going to serve me. Ah, that's, that's me too. I've, I've fallen into that more times than not. But is that, is that what the, a leader does? <clears throat> is that who a leader is? I think if you're to be the leader of your home, your title should be CSO, Chief Serving Officer. And so then our tendency, this is my tendency obviously, as I've been learning about this and maybe trying to grow in this area, is this, is my first thought is, oh, I can do better at serving. I'll wash more dishes and, and I'll take the kids a little more. And, and that's a small part of serving, especially your wife or at home. But, but it's not exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about being a servant. And, and we'll look into that a little bit more this morning. There's two men that I want to look at in the Bible that I think were good servants. They were excellent servants. And we're gonna briefly look at, at them and maybe glean some lessons off of these two men. Um, the first one I wanna look at is Eliezer. And you're, you can turn there if you want. Genesis, find that in Genesis chapter 24 and 25. I'm not gonna read this account for sake of time. But you see Eliezer in this passage, you see him, he, he's, he's Abraham's chief servant. And Abraham is looking to get a wife for, for Isaac. And so he calls in his chief servant. And the role of a chief servant, especially in Eliezer's position, was take care of everything of the household. And in that time, that was a lot. So that he brought the food, he was in charge of bringing food in, feeding people. My, my guess is he was involved in taking care of the cattle, the livestock. He, he was generally over everything. And now Abraham asks him to do something that probably in, in Abraham's mind was even more important than all his daily tasks. Find a wife for his only son. What if Eliezer would have at this point told Abraham, I'm just, I'm just too worn out. I'm tired, you get me to do everything. Maybe I'm just too busy today. I'm too busy. That's not what you see in this story of this part of Eliezer's life. Instead, he, he it doesn't give a time frame, but my assumption is he pretty immediately, he prepares for this journey and he goes on it. He goes. Um, it says he saddled up 10 camels and he went to accomplish his master's wish. I think the lesson, a little bit of a lesson we can learn from this part of Eliezer's life is a good servant is faithful in completing the task at hand. A good servant is faithful at completing the task at hand. Another thing I think we can see here in Eliezer's, in the story here of Abraham and Eliezer and, and Eliezer getting a wife for Isaac is once He's given, once Abraham gives Eliezer the instructions, and he obviously cares very much about it. He gives very detailed instructions, and he gets him to swear that he's going to do it. Um, 
But you see Abraham trusting Eliezer with a really, really important task. And you don't see him sending another messenger to check up on him, to make sure he's doing it right. Make sure he's not just finding a, a wife down the road. He trusts, El, he trusts Eliezer. He completely trusts him. I think it's another really important aspect of being a good servant, is a good servant is trustworthy. There's another, also something that, maybe reading into the story a little bit here, that you see, and you see this with about any good servant that you read about, is Eliezer, Eliezer's primary concern was the success of his master. That was his primary concern. Um, later, when he finds Rebecca and he's praising God for bringing success to, Ab to his master Abraham, his primary concern was the success of his master, or the one he was serving. I think a good servant's primary concern is the success of his master, and he'll go to great lengths to bring success, to accomplish his master's wish. Turning now to, to Genesis 39, this, this is the account that, that Manny read about Joseph. Just a little blip here of Joseph's life. And Joseph was a really good servant. Uh, it, you see it really quickly after he's bought by Potiphar. Potiphar realizes pretty quickly that this man knows what he's doing. And yes, it says God blessed him and blessed everything he did. But Joseph put the work in. And so he wasn't a lazy man and God just blessed him. He obviously put the work in. He knew how to serve. And Potiphar pretty quickly picks up on that. And you see him, you see Joseph as the head of Potiphar's house. And we don't have no timeline, but I, I would like to think it was not that long. How did Joseph learn to serve Potiphar that well? And think with me, how, what, it, what it takes to be a good servant. I think one of the things that, that Joseph was good at, or Joseph did, was get to know Potiphar. To truly serve someone well, you have to know who you're serving. Because everyone likes to be served differently, especially if you're the head of a house. He would have had to learn how, how Potiphar likes his fields done, what kind of food he likes to eat, how he handles his money. It makes it sound like he did everything. Um, the only thing Potiphar knew was was what he ate. The rest was taken care of by Joseph. And, and so Potiphar, or Joseph had to learn how Potiphar did things. He had to learn the man he was serving. He had to know who he was serving. A good servant knows the people he's serving, or the person he's serving. A good servant knows the people he's serving. Another thing that comes through in Joseph's time here in serving Potiphar is, is he put his own needs and desires, or he put Potiphar's needs and desires above his own. And, and that had to be the case early on for him to rate, go up the ranks that quickly. But then you also see that when he relates to Potiphar's wife. If his primary concern was what do I want? I don't think. I think he would have followed Potiphar's wife. 
but he, he was too, there was, he knew who he was and who he was serving, and he makes it clear there, he says, I can't sin against God. And so he knew his ultimate master was God, and he was going to serve God no matter, no matter what. But he also understood the relationship with Potiphar and his wife. And, and was not going to, he put Potiphar's desires above his own. It's a sign of a good servant. He's one who knows how to put the desires of those they serve above their own. And also, like Eliezer, I, I think you see it. It's, it's, into the, it's in this story of Joseph serving Potiphar is, is the, the desire to make his master successful. He did well with what, whatever Potiphar put, put him to do. He did well with it. And, and that was the ultimate goal, was making him successful. If, if Joseph would have been concerned about his own success, I don't think, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think he would have been at the position he was very, very much, or very long, or if at all. Let's go back now, and I, I want to look at some of these things that we see in, in these two men's lives as servants. And, and just, I, I'm, I don't always do this, but I'm just going to make it really practical for us this morning, for us as men specifically. This thing of a good servant being faithful for and completing, being faithful in, sorry, and completing the task at hand, is that you as a leader of your home? Do you care for your wife, your children, what needs to be done as a man at home? Do you care for them enough that you complete and, you, and your family knows you're going to do what needs to be done? Or do you push it off for another day because you're just too busy today to do what's important? Can you be relied on to accomplish the task at hand? Eliezer and Joseph both knew their masters well, probably very well. I think it's a pretty important part of being a good servant is caring about and knowing who you're serving. Can you say that as a husband and a father? Can you say that? That you know, you truly know your wife, you truly know your children. And, and I know this, is, this has been a weakness of mine, especially when it comes to the and maybe this is, maybe this is men, I, I used to blame that on that, but I think it's just something I need to learn. This thing of, of knowing your wife's longings and emotions and her dreams, her abilities, aspirations, that, that side for a man, it just ah, feels overwhelming. I'm busy, you know, just going to be honest, that's, but can you serve, can you be that leader if you don't know who you're serving? There's an interesting verse in 1 Peter 3, 7. Um, he, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. How is that possible if you don't know your wife? You don't know your family. You don't know the ones you're serving, the ones you're leading. And it goes on. There's also a warning at the end of that verse 
that talks about your prayers being hindered. Um, and I'm going to summarize this verse. Go look it up, and you can. Um, but it, I'm, I'm going to summarize the verse. This is how I hear what I hear it saying: Live with under, understanding and show your wife honor, so that your prayers are not hindered. There's more in that verse. Sometimes look, sometime look up that verse and, and study it for a while. There's, there's a lot in there. I think we should take that seriously as, as husbands, as fathers. A good servant knows who they serve. They know the one they serve. Another thing that we see from example of, of Joseph and Eliezer here is, is them putting the needs of the one they serve. They put their needs and desires above their own. And this is a tough one. Um, do you as the leader of the home, you care more about what you want? Yeah. And that can go with things like, simple things like, you know, food or, or it can, you know, go, go wherever you want with this. Is it more important that it's me, my things, or is it more important that you honor and serve the needs of your wife and your children? Are my wishes and hobbies and desires just their top? Once I get them done, then I take care of my wife and my children. And that, that's sadly, that is, the, that is the tendency of us as men. Or maybe it's just me, but I, I would tend to think that's, that's the tendency. Ephesians 5.28 says, So husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. And that's a tough one because we automatically take care of me. And this, having children uh, awoke me to that whole thing and my selfishness more than ever, more than anything. Um, I like to be comfortable, I like to be fed, I like to sleep when I want to sleep, I like, you know, all these little things that when I want to go away and go hang out with friends, I like to do that, you know, that, that was how I lived. And suddenly, suddenly you can't do that as a leader, as a husband. And this is talking about wives specifically, loving your wives as your own body. And, and if we're more concerned about how I feel, my comfort, my food. Maybe, maybe the other thing we tend to do is we give ourselves the benefit of, doubt, of the doubt when we mess up. That's, I'm, I'm not as bad as it made, that made me look. This is always we, we love our own bodies. We love ourselves. God calls us as husbands and, and leaders to put the, our wives, our ones we lead, first. Serve them. And Jesus, Jesus is a beautiful example of this. And in John 13, let, let's just turn there, actually. John 13. There's, there's, Jesus is, is after, after the supper here, he rises, and he, he girds a towel, and he goes to wash. And then they have some discussion here with Peter back and forth. 
Um, I'll start there in 13. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, ye ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that sent greater than he that sent him. And this is, this is in context of, of the church, and that's what we talk about it usually, and that, that's well. This morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe pull this a little bit and, and look at just the example Jesus gave us of serving and use it for leaders. You see, Jesus, as a leader, taking responsibility to wash, to clean the feet of those that were following him. He took responsibility for that. And then he says, do, also do this. This is an example I'm setting for you. <clears throat> do you as a leader of your home get down and wash the feet of those you, you lead? How does that look? And I'm not talking physically. How does that look? My, ten, my tendency, and, and Jesus could have same, said the same to his disciples, is well, they're fully capable of washing their own feet. Um, are you willing to take responsibility for the dirt and the mess in the lives of those under your leadership? There's a, there's a, you have to be humble to do that. In some ways, you actually have to be broken. And that came up this, this morning in the Sunday school lesson there with Judah and Tamar. And Judah gets to the place where he admits her sin is greater than mine. That says a lot. Because the tendency is to blame the other. And, and I know as, as husbands or as leaders, this is really easy to do. Say, well, they made the mistake. They fix their stuff, and then I'll. Well, that's not the example Jesus gave us. He washed, he took responsibility for the dirt on their feet, on his disciples' feet. And then he also sets, sets an example just with the way he laid down his life. And that, that was for our salvation, but... But as a leader, I think we're called to that as well, just to lay down our life for the one we're leading. And I, I want to make it very clear this morning that in, in talking about being a servant, this kind of servant is not a passive man. Okay. Look at Eliezer and Joseph. And they were not passive men. They weren't men that just waited in the beck and call of their master. That wasn't, that wasn't their role. In fact, they, they were in charge in many ways. In many ways, they led their households. They made decisions. And their households prospered because of it. They were not passive men. But you see... You see, at the very center of their decisions and how they led was their goal of the success of their master, the one they served. That was, I think that whether they thought about it or not, as they made decisions, 
It came down to what is the best for the one I'm serving? What is the best for them? And that, I think, is at the core of what a good leader, or you could say a good servant, thinks about. That's, that's, that is what his ultimate goal should be as a good leader or a good servant, is what is best for the ones you lead? What is best for the ones you serve? The problem is, the tendency is to just look at me. What's best for me right now? And that's probably where, where I, or as, as leaders, we can be weak in too often. The consideration is what's best for me. When a true servant cares about what is best for those they lead. A good, a good leader truly serves those he leads. The second thing that a good leader is, a good leader is a protector. A good leader is a protector. Webster's dictionary definition for protector or to protect is to cover or shield from exposure to injury, damage, or destruction. To cover or shield. And it's a really interesting picture. Our Heavenly Father does this for us. And, and look at the Psalms. Look at verses like Psalm 46. God is our ref. So, sorry, 46.1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present ever help in trouble. That's a shield. That's a protector. Psalm 57.1. Have mercy on me, O on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. 2 Samuel 22, 2 and 3, and this is David speaking. I think it was soon after he was delivered from Saul, or maybe right after. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him, I, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou saves me from violence. Again and again and again, you see... Words in the Bible describing God as our rock, our fortress, our strong tower. He's a safe place, a sheltering wing. He's a protector. He's our protector. That is what God is for those that come under his authority, that come under his protection. And, and I want to ask us, especially as a leader, have you experienced your father's protection, your father's shelter? That place of refuge, is that where you go to, like David did when he was in times of trouble? Is that your first place you go to? Our Heavenly Father doesn't force us to come under his protection. He invites us. He invites us to come under his authority, under his protection. But he's a safe place for those that do. He's a safe place for those that do. Are you protecting those under your authority? As a man, as a husband? And there's several aspects of being a protector that I just want to look at a little bit this morning. And this, well, the, well, the one I want to look at is, and this is so important for being a protector, is being able to fight and win battles being able to fight and win battles. What good is a protector if they can't win battles? 
In fact, you put those under, under your protection in, in grave danger and risk if you cannot fight and conquer the enemy. And, and sadly, that, that's the experience of, of too many women and children under their husband or father's leadership. They don't experience protection as God intended because the leader, the protector, cannot win battles. It's important that we know how to fight. We know how to conquer our enemy. There's some fascinating history um, from the early thousands there, over the time of the Crusades. And, And early on, when the the Crusades started, and, and there's all kinds of Catholic Christians that wanted to go down and, and free, uh, free the Holy Lands and you know conquer that. Early on, as as groups were going down through, it was a lot of Muslim countries. Many of them didn't even make it to the Holy Lands at the beginning because they would get robbed or attacked or plundered on their way down through, as they were going through Muslim territory. <clears throat> And there's a, there was a, a man, um, Hughes de Payens, heard about this. He was a French nobleman. And he wanted to do something about this. He obviously wanted to help the cause. And so he goes down and he meets with King Baldwin, I think, of Jerusalem. And he, they work out an agreement and he offers to protect crusaders going down through. So he creates a, a group of knights or a new order of knights and they're called the Knights of Templar. Look them up, it's really interesting history. Um, and these knights join in the fight. They, they help. Their main goal is, I think especially as they, when they were started, their goal was to protect those that were going down through to the Holy Lands. Eventually, they became quite a powerful fighting force, and I think they ended up running most of the, the cities that were conquered around Jerusalem and the Holy Lands. They ended up being protectors for pretty much the area. Um, and they got quite wealthy, these Knights of Templar. They got quite wealthy and became very powerful. <clears throat> and then there was a period there where a lot of, or the Muslim world kind of came together under, I think it was a group uh, leader, Saladin was one of the first ones. And, and they started pushing back on this, these Christians that were gaining territory. And eventually, I think they pretty much wiped out. It was one town after another. And, and these Knights of Templar were no longer able to protect the people they went down to protect. And I think most of the towns, I should have looked at it again, but most, most of them would have been defeated by, by the Muslims again. And, and, there, and many of these Knights, the ones that were still living at least, end up back in their hometown or their home country because they were no longer able to fight, protect what they had went down to protect. And it's really interesting, as these knights return home, you would think they get a hero's welcome. They didn't. Um, in fact, most of them were viewed as threats to the, to the king and to the people. They, they, they didn't, first off, they didn't accomplish what they had went to go down and accomplish, which was to protect the crusaders. Um, they were sent down with that primary goal, so they weren't able to protect. 
and they had gained wealth and they knew how to fight, they were good fighters, and so they come home and suddenly they're a threat to their own people. They're a threat to the king. And you see, I think if I'm right, most or all of them died very tragically by the hands of their own people and king. They weren't able to protect. And it's really, it's a, it's a sad, the whole thing, the whole situation is really sad. But it's the same with us as leaders, though. If, if we aren't able to fight and protect the ones we're called to fight, more times than not, instead of being a protector, we actually end up being a threat and, and a hindrance to the very ones that we intend to protect. It's very important. And we're able to win battles and conquer the enemy. And, and just, just to be clear, the only way that's possible is, is through help from Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's, that's how we're victorious. But it's very important that we're able to win battles as leaders, as protectors. Um, another area that we're called to, to protect, and this is, this is kind of a tough one, even for me, it was kind of a tough one to maybe even understand how, how this works, <laughs> how to live this, you could say, is this thing of being a, a protector of, of our wives, our children's emotions, their, their, um, who they are. And I, I'm not trying to get all feely, but, but being a safe place, being a safe place for them. Um, if you haven't noticed yet, the world is, is pretty mean. The world's really mean, and, and there's just a lot of hurt. I don't think it's appropriate that more hurt is added by us as leaders, and yet that's often the case. Um, we're not necessarily, it's too easy to not necessarily be a safe place, and God is that for us, and you see David running to him, the shelter, the protection. Our tendency, as, especially as men maybe, is to be frustrated when there's, or, or, or frustrated and harsh when those under our leadership mess up. And you very clearly see our Heavenly Father disciplining. Yes, he disciplines. But, but he doesn't condemn or condescend to those under his authority. That's the role that Satan plays in our lives. And so how, how do we, as leader, as protector, mirror that to those under us? How does, how does our Heavenly Father relate to us when we, when we mess up? And I, I thought of, there's two different parables that give us maybe a picture of this. The one is the parable of the lost sheep, or the story of the lost sheep there. And our Heavenly Father pursues, goes after, he brings back. Um, parable of the prodigal son returning. His father had open arms, he was waiting. There's also an aspect of, of, of this. And in Ephesians 5, I might be taking this a little bit out of context, and, and you, can, you can challenge me on this, but there's a, there's a passage in Ephesians 5, 25, and 26 where it talks about washing with the water of his word. And he's talking about the church and Christ 
and he washes us with the water of his word. And he's using this in parallel to marriage, specifically. But that word, word there, in Greek is rhema. It's a spoken word. It's actually not the written word. So it might, it might include this. I'm not going to say it doesn't include God's written word. But it's, it's very specifically talking about God's spoken word. And I, just, I guess I see this picture of, of, the bride, of us as Christ's bride and him being the bridegroom and him washing us, cleansing us, um, the church, from our filth and our stains of the world, our mistakes, the things that got us dirty, and doing that with words of blessing and cleansing and approval. And I, I think it's a beautiful picture of what Christ does to us as the church. And I think this is a, maybe a small part of what a protector is or a husband that does this thing of protecting and being a safe place for those under their leadership also. There's so much power in the spoken word of blessing, a word of blessing or approval. And, and yet too often, especially as a protector, we're harsh. And we view prote those protector as the strong man, the man that's going to fight. And that's part of it. But then there's also part of being a protector as being a safe place, a sheltering wing. Someone who can speak words of blessing. Over those they're protecting. I think that's the kind of leader or the kind of protector we should be. Another aspect of, of being a protector that I'm going to look at a little bit is, is this, just this idea implied by the, actually by the definition, is this thing of shielding or, or seeing danger and not allowing it to get to the one you're protecting. And just a, an example of this that I thought of, so we live on Virginia Avenue. It's a little street and we got cars parked both sides. It's downhill and for whatever reason the tendency is for cars just come flying down through there. I mean, I've seen cars doing crazy speeds down this little street. And I think it's the fear of every mom on the street that their kid is going to sometime be out in that street. And it happens. I've never seen someone get hit, but the kids run across the street. They dart across. And you, you don't see them coming because they come out from behind a car. As a leader or as a protector, it's, it's my role or it's our role to, to explain to teach our children that that's dangerous. The street is off limits because it's dangerous. And yeah, it takes discipline sometimes. But yet, that's my role as a protector. The role of a protector is to see danger and to keep those under our leadership from that danger. And, and you see our Heavenly Father doing this. God's given us clear boundaries. He's given us clear guidelines, and they're there for our benefit. They're there for our benefit. Um, I truly think it's from a heart of love that God gave us, gives us direction on how to live. But it's so important that, that we as protectors, as leaders, are aware of the dangers. We're not ignorant to the dangers around us and to the ones the dangers that maybe those under us are going to face. And we, we do what we can to protect 
to shield or to guard those under us from those dangers. A good leader is a protector. Maybe in, in closing a little bit, I, I want to take this opportunity just to, just to say that this is something that, that I'm definitely sharing from a place of learning. And, and I've kind of been on a journey of learning this. And there's different people or different, yeah, different people that have spoken into this. Um, Dathan would have spoken into this when he was here and, and spurred me on in some of these things of, of um, maybe being a better leader, being a better servant. would have also been a blessing being at, at the Ignite Marriage Retreat. Thank you, Tim and Deanne, for your part there. That was a really good time for me as well, for us as our marriage, but, but me as a leader and, and reflecting on some of the things that I need to grow in, especially in our marriage. Um, and, and my wife, if she's honest and you ask her, she'll tell, I, I still have some growth to do. But I wanted to share this to spur you on, but also maybe for some accountability on my part. I want to be accountable to this kind of leadership. And I also want to take this opportunity to, to bless some of the older men here. Because I've experienced this kind of leadership here at church. And I've also... Thank you, Dad, for being here. But I've also seen my father live, this, live out some of this example <clears throat> of this kind of leadership, especially more recently as, as, we, as you walked with Mom through sickness and, and as she passed home. Thank you for that example. I want us to consider, or especially you as men, to consider this morning that most likely you think of yourself and your leadership a little more highly than you all. That's most likely the case. And that goes for, for everyone. Challenge you maybe a little bit of homework this week is to, not today because it's Father's Day, but sometime sit down with your wife and honestly ask her, do you serve her the way you, sh you ought to be? Do you care for her in that way? Do you protect the family and her the way? Does she feel safe? Uh, and other things as well. But be open to that kind of feedback and, and take it humbly. Take the correction or whatever you need to hear humbly. And I encourage you as leaders, let's keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep winning battles. that let's let's stand for prayer